Okay, um, let's quickly do something. Uh, can we open our Bibles to the book of um, Psalms? Again, we'll read from Psalm 2 today. Psalm number 2. What we are doing is to declare the Lordship of Jesus into the air. And um, I'm asking everybody to please try and make this a regular thing in your personal life. Take a number of scriptures. You can just look for like 10, 20 of them. Maybe we should post, um, if I'm reminded, over the next uh, few days, I can put like 20 of them out. You understand? 10, 20, just pick one and at least twice in a day, declare into the air. You understand what I'm saying? That's what we're saying. Just pick something, declare into the air. And what we are doing is telling the airwaves, telling everybody listening out there that Jesus is Lord. That's what we are saying. One of my favorites is Psalm 2, and that's how we have been reading it. I also like that Jeremiah chapter 10, and there are so many of them. Actually, I'm doing a kind of compilation. Are you ready? Yes, Psalm number 2, let's read it from the bottom of our heart. I preferentially would like us to read um, the New American Standard, all right? All right, one, two, let's go. Why are the nations in an opera, and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take counsel, stand, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cause from us. Verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. 5. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, 6. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion. My holy mountain. Seven. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. Nine. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Ten. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. Amen. Amen. I said amen. amen. Indeed, how blessed are all who take refuge in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, say amen. I declare you blessed in the name of Jesus. Amen. We say it again. Kings show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. Do homage to the son so that he doesn't become angry. And when he's angry, he will perish in the way. Thus we have declared the lordship of Jesus over this our nation. And his lordship shall be established for all to see in the name of Jesus. Amen. When his lordship is established, he will punish unrighteousness. Amen. Say amen to that. Amen. It will no longer be said in this nation that a thief is generous. Amen. Yesterday I was discussing with some of our people. And we found that in our country for a long time. Very generous people that we know. They are criminals. Now, take notice, you thieves that have made a name for yourselves in generosity, soon you will be disgraced. Nothing personal. But Jesus has a reason to show the younger people 
that the curse of the Lord is in the house of the thief. In this nation, it will no longer be said that the thief is generous. Amen. The Lord will uphold the righteous. Amen. The Lord will reward the patient, the hardworking, the God-fearing one. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Listen, the gods that did not make this heaven, the, the heavens and the earth will perish from under the heavens. Amen. The principles of life that people operate by it will be shown that the Lord indeed is righteous, Amen. that he is just, Amen. and he is the rewarder of those who fear him. Amen. Father, do it in our nation in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Before you take your seats, quickly, let's take a declaration of understanding. For those who don't know about heart, it's on the cover of that magazine. The rest of us who do it by heart, let's get ready to declare it. Are we ready? Remember is what? All right, one, two, let's go. Now I declare. The Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work. And I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 And that's what God will do for you again today. Amen. You'll be stronger at the end of today than you were yesterday. Amen. Yeah, that's it. God will recover every lost strength for you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the word is coming into you today, it's bringing the life of God with it. And it will give your body life in Jesus' name. Amen. Healing is your portion. Amen. Direction is your portion. Amen. Prosperity is your portion. Amen. In the name of Jesus Christ. Alright, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Let's open the book of James. We are starting from there today. The book of James. One of the portions of the Bible that I quote a lot these days. Book of James chapter 2. Uh, up to last week, I was talking about... Um, the entrance of faith, and along the line I said that uh, the Lord permits, I will talk about um, the expression or the expressions of faith. And I feel like it's time to move over into that. Well, I'm going to read from verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. And yet do not give them what is necessary for their body. What use, he says, is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. This is my answer, James was saying, show me your faith without the works. Are you going to do that? That's what they were saying. And I will show you my faith by my works. That is, the only way you can see my faith is by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe. What is the, works? the, what is the work they produce? He says, they shudder or they tremble. Literally, they draw back. They claim to believe it doesn't make them closer to the Lord. 
He said, but, you are willing to, but are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow? Notice that it is foolishness to think that faith can exist without works. He said, are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works, and as a result, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? He said, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Please, I need to read that last line, that verse 26 in the New Living Translation. The version of the New Living Translation I have says, just as the body is the body is dead without breath. So also faith is dead without good works. Now, let me quickly say this before I begin to teach. Do you know, it's only recently I found out that this word breath was used by New Living Translation. And I suspect, I don't know, does anybody have the older version of New Living Translation? No, they have the update, uh, yes. Now, what I'm saying that is that for a long time, I wrote um, articles, books, and stuff on this for a long ago. And I kept on trying to say the proper word here, I believe, is breath. And every other Bible I read up to that time said what? Spirit. And I kept on trying to explain to people that it must have been breath that James was saying. Because the word for uh, breath and the word for wind and the word for spirit in the Bible, they are all the same. New man, New Testament. All right? So when I read it in context, I said, no, James wanted to say breath. But it's often translated as spirit. Then I kept on trying to explain that. Then recently I was just reading New Living, a new Living Translation, this particular edition. And I saw it. I said, oh, makes my teaching easier. The Bible translators have used the proper word. So good. We'll go ahead and use this. That's why I had to read that. Because, and you'll see the reason in a moment. Let me just remind us of what um, we are trying to explain here. Or again, of why James um, wrote what he wrote. People gave the impression, and of course, somebody like Martin Luther, he brought it to us again, which was the revelation of God, that salvation is by faith, okay, and it is by faith alone. Now, people got the impression that what you do outwardly, therefore, doesn't matter at all. Let me quickly distinguish for us between the works of the law and the works of faith. Now, the confusion, why I need to do that is that that's where the confusion often arises from. So when the Bible, like you read the book of Romans, Paul will go against the works of the law, the works of the law, works. And now he's always about the works of the law, the works of the law, the works of the law. Now, what was he saying? If they put down the Ten Commandments and the 603 instructions, uh, statutes, and other commandments that go with it as the terms of the the old covenant which God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. If you look at that as fulfill all of this and you'll be saved, it's called the works of the law. 
I hope you're getting my point. And, of course, the first one, which we all know, the first set is the Ten Commandments. And then there are many other ones. The law has many. For example, the law has a, something about how you cut your hair. Yes. The law will tell you how to weave your clothing, your materials. For example, you don't mix materials according to the law. You don't mix cotton with wool. The cloth is either pure cotton or it's pure wool. You don't go ahead and do what we do these days in which you see 25% cotton, 7% wool, the rest is polyester. You are breaking the law. As one of the things about the law, you did no work on the Sabbath day. Some people have said that, listen, Sabbath was before the law. I'm not going to argue that now. But the point is that, that you must do no work on the Sabbath day as an instruction is <laughs> the law. I hope you're getting my point. When you harvest, you will physically take from the first harvest. You take some things and take to the temple. And you must present it before God. If your wife delivers your first child, a male, there are certain sacrifices you must take to the temple. All of these things are called the works of the law. And the Bible says, by it will nobody be saved. There is another set of works, which is works of another set of laws. Now, this is what I mean. Now, you can, somebody else can make laws. We have the laws of the old covenant. Some other people can make laws. For example, a church can say, women, you don't wear trousers into our premises. You know, there's something like that in a church in Enugu. Nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying it's evil. Okay? Don't say that. Ha, they are bad people. They are not bad people. They have their reasons. But notice something. They did not say it is a key to salvation. It is a law of decency that they want to use in their assembly. That's all. All right? But you know, human beings are funny. After two generations, I can assure that's the two generations. Half a generation. Just wait for a few years. A priest will come up on one Sunday and say, listen, if you want to be saved, you don't dress like this today. And then once he preached, and if that fellow now becomes a bishop, they now have children who grew up thinking that God said so. That's another set of laws. There are Christians who believe that a woman should never wear makeup for any reason. Makeup is no small thing. That <laughs> if it is your hair, hellfire. Leave that thing. How can you carry this one to heaven? Why? Not only does she have artificial something, it's even green. <laughs> and they're not joking, no. I mean, when they're giving some of these instructions, they will tell you, listen, those are the kind of things that Saul, uh, Paul was explaining to us, that that is not how we are saved. I hope you're getting my point. Now, this, everything, every truth can be carried to an extreme. To recognize the boundary of something is one of the things you must have as wisdom in life. Where does this boundary exist and you don't carry it beyond that? Once you carry truth beyond its boundaries, it becomes error. I hope you're getting my point. And it's simple. It's like having laws in Nigeria. They are correct laws. Once you enter into Cameroon, you have to ask them, what are your own laws? If you carry your car and go to um, England... You want to drive, 
instead of driving on the, where do we drive? Left or right? See now, see confusion. Please, so some of you, if you drive on the right, let me see you. <laughs> ah. Okay, some say you drive on the left, Okpari. Okay, somebody's modifying that the steering is on the left, you drive on the right. <laughs> of course, now you drive on the right if the steering is on the left. <laughs> you drive on the right, <laughs> please, eh? Then they have even confused me. Oh, where do I drive again? <laughs> Yes, you drive on the right side of the road. Please don't confuse don't confuse me. And please, if you are not driving, don't talk again. <laughs> How are people talking? They don't drive. That they want to confuse us. Of course, I, I, I knew it before. As soon as I asked the question, I got confused. <laughs> All right. So we drive on the right. Okay. Nigeria actually used to drive on the left. It was sometime in the 70s that it was switched over to the right. All right. Okay. Don't worry, I don't expect you to know. I mean, even me, I do not know. I was, it's my mother that one day was just explaining it to me. I said, eh, is that so? By the time I grew up and I could identify who's driving on the west side, we were on the right. Now, there are two or three countries left in the world that drive on the left. Japan, which other one? That's um, UK, United Kingdom, Australia, I think. I'm not sure. Okay. Those two I'm very sure of. Now, just trying to explain something about laws. So even though you know how to drive, you're a very you're a skilled driver. Once you carry yourself, land in Japan, bros, you have to learn to drive on the left. So it becomes false if you insist on driving on the right simply because you have moved over to Japan or you have moved over to the United Kingdom. Of course, in Nigeria, it's against the law to have a car with a steering on the right. So you don't want to bring cars like that there are places in Lagos, their job is to help you convert your car to left-hand drive. They buy a new dashboard, buy it, then spend a few, um, spend a day working on your car, and then it now becomes a left-hand drive because once you cross our border, a good car in the United Kingdom becomes a sinful car. Are you getting the catch? The truth has crossed the border. Let's bear that in mind. So sometimes we have a, we have a particular truth. We now push it to an extreme. We start telling people that if you don't do this, you are not going to go to heaven. Like, not, like this tithing matter. I've disagreed with the popular teaching on tithing almost forever. I heard it first of all about 33 years ago, there about a two or three years ago. And it conflicted with some truths I knew. They began to creep into the body of Christ in Nigeria. And then I, I heard it again. After a while, I, I, I tested it, checked the scriptures, disagreed with it. By 1991, I thought, I, I mean, in my opinion, I was clear on what the Bible said about it. But I didn't say much to anybody. Do you know why? It's not a weighty matter of the law. Using the border expression. I didn't think it was important. I went to church at a time, shortly after I left school. One day, pastor came, was making so much noise about it. I wouldn't do that now. But then, the money I was giving before, I just started relabeling it. If you want to get it tight, I will give it to you. It didn't change what I was giving, really. You understand? Okay, so I said, calculate 10%. No problem. We'll calculate it. Write it on it. But if it's now, I won't do that. I won't do that now because they will say even Paul obeys the law. You know, you get a particular situation in your life. Everything you do makes a statement. Okay? But those days, I didn't feel it was a weighty matter of the law. So I didn't talk about it. Now, using the law now just to use that expression. Okay? We're not dealing with laws now. But when they now got to a time, people now got up and began to say, 
If you don't tithe, you can't prosper. I said, bros, take it easy. Then I now heard the one that couldn't take it anymore. He said, if you don't tithe, you are going to hell. Ha. I had to get up and say, brethren, it is enough. You have carried this thing beyond where it should be. You have removed it from one of those unimportant matters of the law to a very weighty matter of the law that is enough to decide somebody's eternal salvation. That's the reason, my people, why you started hearing me talk about it. Otherwise, like how many times do you hear me talk about whether women should use makeup, if you don't use makeup? Think about it. It's not a common thing. I, I, I make jokes about it. But to sit down and try to analyze scriptures, it's not important. Well, look, if you want to use makeup, if you don't want to use, leave us. Just make sure that you look decent and you don't look like Jezebel. That's all. Just hang somewhere in between <laughs> those two extremes and we'll leave you alone. And don't tell me that if there was a time some women got up and said that they dreamt no, they had a vision, and they got, went to hell, and they saw people with Ify's hair there. <laughs> you remember those women? I told somebody, I said, either they are, they are just flat out lying, and people lie a lot, or they were very confused. They did not know what they saw. And they said that, that, that God sent people to hellfire because they followed Ify to the salon. I said, which kind of love it is? Again, at that time, that's when I wrote the article, Who's Going to Hell? which is now published as one of our tracts, that please, let's not make things that are not important as the core things of Christianity. Now, back to the issue of works. So people, of course, when they go into those two extremes I'm telling you about, one, the laws of Moses, and they're making laws out of the, what, what the Bible calls, Jesus called the traditions of man. Man must have traditions. There's nobody that will not have a tradition. If you don't have a tradition in life, you're confused. Now, I don't mean your village tra- traditional. I mean something must become a routine with you. I mean simple things like we meet here on Friday, on Saturdays by 5 p.m. It has become our tradition. Since Kingdom was started, f- um, Saturday meetings have been by that 5 o'clock. We started a few minutes before 5. It has been like that since we began to meet 2003. It's been a while. To be 20 years in two years' time, right? It's become our tradition. A typical kingdom world person, you don't fix appointments for him or her Saturday evenings unless it's very, very important. Everybody knows. Even family people, they say, if you want Banky to attend your wedding and you're not wedding in Enugu, don't wed any time outside December. That is the only time he can come. I hope you're getting my point. It has become my tradition. But imagine that my children will grow up and make this tradition into a law. That's what Jesus complains about. Traditions of men must exist. I hope you're getting my point. There's a way Africans generally greet. I was brought up, I grew I of course, born in Western Nigeria, grew up there. My children greet the way I learned to greet. So if my children greet you, they will always bow. You understand? There's a way it is sometimes prostrate. Even if you see their grandmother from my side, they will prostrate. They've been trained like that. It's a tradition. Now, I'm married from Niger Delta. Nobody there prostrates. Everybody kneels. Even if you are not leaning, you say, I'm on my knees. That's, well, that's what the greeting means. I'm on my knees. Even when you're standing straight like this, I'm on my knees. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the greeting. That's a tradition. And there's nothing wrong with it. So when my children move to the other side, or me go to the other side, I change the way I greet. 
Nobody's coming to change their tradition for me now in that area because I'm a Christian. No, because there's nothing evil about it. They are okay traditions. In fact, a lot of these traditions, okay, they fit. Please go and listen to our series, the, the, uh, the culture the culture of Christ, that we'll call it. Yes, I tried to explain there that the cloak of um, religion is tradition. That is, anything you believe, we manifest in the way you behave. And cultures grow out of their beliefs. So I give an example. There's some of the examples. There are some elders in Africa, many parts of Africa, at least I know about Western Nigeria. They can't take a drink without tipping it. Once you give them the drink, they must tip a bit of it off. Some people think it's a foam or something from the palm wine. No. They must give the one that belongs to the gods. Do you follow my point? Now, some of those traditions we break deliberately. You don't know where it began. The day you find out, you don't ever do that again. Why? Because it's called point libation. It's a worship of idols. So if I go to the innermost village, now, you give me a drink, I will not pour anything. And you will ask me why. I said, Jesus forbids me. I hope you're getting my point. Because what I understand is that that is called first fruit. <laughs> Goes to the gods. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's a drink for the gods. Okay? So, back to the issue of tradition. So, we have traditions. Okay? And everybody will have traditions. Waking up in the morning to praise a tradition. It's not a law of God. The problem always is when you have a good tradition, that's the danger. You now turn it to a law. It becomes a problem. Again, it has crossed the boundary. So you are so used to children that bow or prostrate. When you see a child that doesn't, you say, you see, he has no respect. He can't go to heaven. You see, you don't know why he's not um, doing what you are saying. You don't know where he comes from. People kneel. I've seen people actually get up, they use their own tradition and preach the word of God. As if you don't do it this way, you are, not, you are disobeying God. That is when it becomes a problem. And in Israel, they had that issue. They took the law of God, the law of Sabbath, and made their own traditions out of it. And then made the tradition superior to the law. They taught the traditions, they did not teach even the law, even though they were under the law. The tradition was more important. And Jesus never broke any law. He broke all the traditions. Something out of just, let me just break it. Let's, hey, Peter, let's break something today. What's the reason? Because he wanted to point out to them that you have made into laws nothing but, that is the thing that's not supposed to, that's just a tradition. It was so bad, they took the laws of Sabbath. They took Sabbath and made so many laws out of it that there were not different groups among the Jews obeying different laws of Sabbath. They said it till today in Israel. There are Jews that will never press the lift button on a Sabbath day. You know, lift. You are going up. You know that pressing the lift button is working on a Sabbath day. So they hire a Gentile to be pressing the lift button for them. That's hypocrisy. But then you hire somebody else to break the law so that you will not be the one to break the law. Have you ever heard this one before that? Me, I don't give power wine, no. You know, people want to go for, to, for wedding. One man told me that he hired some people when I was seven that time. That they asked for is it beer. That you know, I don't believe in such things. I can't be giving somebody beer. So I gave them money to go and buy it. 
And I was looking at the man like, is that supposed to be a joke? You, you can't buy beer. Why would I buy, buy beer? Just give them money to go and buy the beer. That's what happens when you take traditions and make them into what? Laws. And listen to me. That was what Jesus was against. Now, Paul, when he was talking about salvation, he had to explain salvation is not by any law, either the laws of Moses or by the laws of men. But the emphasis was the laws of Moses. But then, this again, truth, you know, we said truth carried to an extreme becomes a problem. Some people now heard it and said, listen, it is by faith. No law is needed. No works is needed. No work. No, no, we don't, it's by faith alone. No, law, no work. No work. Just believe. So people now say that, do you, have you believed in Jesus Christ? Once you just say yes, say you are saved. Say, do I need to repent? No, you don't need to repent. Repentance is works. Just believe. These are things I've heard though. So I'm not trying to form anything. I believe it happened that time. So they were lawless Christians. They were very lawless. Meanwhile, Jesus actually has his own law. We'll talk about it later. They were just absolutely without principle, without order. Now, so they began to have some lawless Christians. And you see, James reacted to that. And when you talk to people, and I've had people challenge me even on air, and they'll be reading Paul for me. Went to, they will go to Romans chapter 3. By the works of the law, nobody is saved and all of that. And I look at them and say, did I say somebody is saved by the works of the law? They never said so. What happened was that they were telling James that we are saved only by faith. Nothing else but by faith. James said, yes, I agree. As it is written, Abraham believed God. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. But how do we know he believed? By the works that he did. That gives us the third set of works. First, the works of the law. Then that's the law now being the law of Moses. Then we have the works of traditions of men made into laws. Remember that? That is the second one. And then third now, the, top, the third type of works is what they call the work of faith or the works of faith. Now let's talk about the works of faith. So James began to explain to them that how can you say that you have faith? It is not possible to have faith that does not show. You may leave the laws of Moses, therefore you don't have the works of the laws of Moses, but show me the faith that you, that you have. How will you show it? You, they had nothing to show. The only thing they could tell him was that, listen, I have believed. <laughs> James said, I know you believed. But is your faith genuine or it is not? Is it living or it is dead? The only way you can tell is by the works that the faith produces. Just as an aside, I want to just digress slightly. Some of the works of faith, they coincide with the works of the law. Do you hear what I said? Some of the works of faith look like the works of the law. And that's why sometimes people have had this issue. Are Christians supposed to obey the Ten Commandments? Are they under the Ten Commandments? Let me answer it this way. If you are saying that God issued the Ten Commandments to Christians as their commandments, the answer is no. Does it mean, that's another mistake people make. They assume that when you say they are not under the Ten Commandments, you know their interpretation? They must break the Ten Commandments. That's not what we said. I hope you are getting my point. In fact, somebody explained something. That some of the things that Jesus taught on this, in the Sermon on the Mount, that Buddha taught some of them 
hundreds of years beforehand. Now, let me ask you a question. Are we under the instructions of Buddha? Please answer me loudly. Does it mean for that reason, any time we see something that Buddha said and that Jesus said, we must break it to prove to somebody we are not under the commandments of Buddha? So Jesus says, love your enemy as yourself. If Buddha also said 300 years ago, so we start hating our enemies as, as, like a snake. So sometimes you have these areas, they overlap. And the reason why is simply because they were given by the same God to achieve similar purposes, but to different, to two different groups of people. I hope you're following my point. Let me give you an example. Now, if God is giving, God was giving commandment to Israel, they were coming out of Egypt. You know, he gave commandments that addressed the practices they had in Egypt. For example, the haircut. The haircut thing was to address an issue. I used to hear commandments like this. Thou shalt not boil a kid in the mother's milk. That is, if you take a little goat and you kill it to eat, you must never cook it using the milk of the mother. Have you heard that commandment before? Some of us may have, but it's in your Bible. Okay, let's, let's read it. Some people are shaking their heads like, what? It was a law. It was a law. Exodus 23. I'll just jump there to verse 19. He said, you shall bring the choice first fruit of your soil into the house of the Lord your God. You are, that is, this is part of it now. You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of its mother. Did you see that? You are not to boil a young goat in the milk of his mother. What's the first thing that came to your mind when you saw that? I'll tell you what came to my mind. Why would anybody want to do that? I don't know whether you're getting my point. First, when I read it, I said, wait, wait. Do, do, do they boil anything in milk? You know, in your mind, they're like, what do you boil in milk? Don't boil rice in milk. I don't boil anything. Talk about a goat. Who boils a goat in milk at all? Whether it's a mother's milk or the father's milk or the grandmother's milk. Who boils a, milk, a goat in milk at all? That was the first thing that came to my mind when I read it. But you know, God gave it as a commandment to them. There was a reason for it. God doesn't joke with his word. Anything he commands against, the opposite is natural. Let me tell you about that. Anything God commands against, the opposite is natural. So when he says, thou shalt not boil a kid, a young goat, in his mother's milk. The people were doing it. Why were they doing it? It was a... Now, notice what he did. It was part of the first fruit commandment. You shall bring the choice first fruits of your soul into the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in the milk of his mother. The way the other people the nation they were coming out from Egypt, the nations around them used to do their own harvest, first fruits, was to take a young goat, kill it, and as a rule, take the mother's milk and boil the goat's meat in it. It was their way of worship. It was, their, it was a fertility rite. It was a way to make sure the rest of the flock produced abundantly. It was a way to make sure that the earth produced abundantly. Now, why am I telling, telling you about that? To let you understand something here. That it was an instruction to them. If God was giving commandments to us now, he wouldn't include it. Why? It's not natural to us. We don't do it. We don't do it. He will tell, tell you 
As a first fruit owner, they don't take a yam to the... <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been instruction. He would have said, don't take your yam to Ezulu's house. I don't remember Ezulu. Which book is that one? Arrow of God. He would have told you, you shall not take your yam to Ezulu's house. But thou shalt bring two tubers to the Reverend Father. Remember that Reverend Father in Arrow of God? Very smart Reverend Father. <laughs> I hope you're getting my point. He addressed their situation. That was why the laws of Moses, all right, one of the reasons why he couldn't apply to Christians. God took the people, took, listen to this, he took his will, downloaded his will into their circumstances and into the kind of persons that they were, to the limit that they could obey. For example, he never told them, don't marry more than one wife. Did he say that? People have used to argue about polygamy. That God <laughs> Let me tell you the truth. If Jesus comes back now, if Moses comes back now and is supposed to give us a commandment on behalf of Jesus Christ, one of the major ones he will put is thou shalt not have more than one wife. He will write it clearly. Why? Because it's natural around us here. Men do it all the time. And those who want to know, I'm not teaching on it now, it's against the will of God. It is against the will of God. What God did for us, all right, was to teach us the spirit of the law. Now, so I wonder the Ten Commandments, I'm going to address that. First commandment says, Thou shalt have no other God besides me or before me. Whether we are obeying that or not, we have only one God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus, who is equal to the Father. Those are the People will worship. I hope you're getting my point. So that commandment, whether you give it or not, it doesn't matter. If you say that thou shalt not bear false witness, we are Christians. We don't bear false witness. Whether you give a commandment like that or not, we will not bear false witness. Do you follow my point? If he says things like thou shalt not commit adultery, we are believers because we understand marriage is to be held in high honor. And the bed must be undefiled. And we have heard that whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. It is not because of the commandments of Moses. It's because we know the heart of God. I hope you are getting my point. Because we understand the heart of God. So, I just wanted to use that to answer the question that, I wonder the laws of Moses. The answer is no. The laws of Moses were not given to us. The Ten Commandments was part of the laws of Moses. It wasn't given to us Christians. But why do we seem to obey almost everything inside? It is simple. Because the same person who gave Moses that also gave us our own laws. I hope you're getting my point. At least gave us our spirit and taught us his will. And that his will was what he manifested in the life of those people. And why we seem to go against some of them is that the reasons why he did that, he gave them to them, does do not apply to us. As a rule, there is nothing wrong with the kid and the mother's milk. What I'm trying to say is that on a physical level, there's nothing. But for them, it was a sign of worship. And we must not worship the way the nations around worshipped. Let me tell you about people who don't love God, how they behave. I'll tell you about this, my son at the back, when he was a little boy. No little boys Especially when they are smart, they, they come up with all kinds of things. And that's the problem Israel had with God. When I was a little boy, we traveled to go and visit my wife's parents. 
I think, you know, he was a bit big. So I think the little, he had the younger ones that time. But it was, I mean, he, he spoke very early, he was a very smart guy. So one night he said he wanted to go and stay with his grandparents. And his grandparents really like their grandchildren coming. You know the way grandparents can be. They will, they will literally vacate the bed that, so that the grandchildren can, and so they can be looking, these are my grandchildren. Father, I thank you. You know, grandparents are interesting. <laughs> oh, they are very interesting. They love grandchildren. They do. They do. They do. If I, you, the, the parent, you are both the parent and the child, you'll be looking like, what is the problem here? This child is misbehaving. Leave him. My children were small, small. That's if they, they, they would go and pee on the grandparents' bed, and it's okay with them. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. So one of those nights, he said, I'm going to stay with my grandmother. So the boy, so it was very small, so that he wouldn't wee on the bed at night. His mother dragged his ear. No coke, because his grandmother likes to offer everything. No juice, no water. I hope you understand that. Yes, just go there. You can watch TV, and then you sleep. Okay, mommy, he got up and went over there. And as expected, the grandmother said, Ah, Bobo, do you like Coke? You like to drink Coke? He said, No. My, my daddy said, No Coke. My mommy said, No Coke. So after a while, the grandmother turned and offered, Will you like juice? He said, No. They said, No juice. <laughs> after a while, the grandmother said, Okay, malt? He said, No. They said, No malt. He was watching his cartoon. After a while, I said, will you like tea? He said, ha, did he say to you? <laughs> the guy reasoned. That did not say to you. Mom didn't say to you. No, you can't bring it. <laughs> that is the problem with the law. When you make laws, hey. You know what? He didn't break any law. But he broke the wheel. I hope you get my point. The will was liquid. Do not imbibe liquid. I've got water containing anything at this time of the night. That's all. But because we wanted to make it clear, we went over everything. The tea didn't cross our minds. We went over more. Those are the things that you can just take out of the fridge and take. But the one that had to be prepared, I mean, it was late, maybe like 11 o'clock, past 11. That's the problem with the law. So that's one thing. When people really are looking for laws to guide their lives, and they're not looking for the will of God, you will see them disobey God concerning his will every day, but they will have every law intact. But God had to give those people those laws, even though he knew those things were not perfect. Let me just really explain that as we are going on. Now, how do I know these things? You see, there's a particular point in time. Let's just read that, maybe to help us. The Lord Jesus was speaking. There's just one thing I want to bring out from the words that he used. Matthew chapter 19. Let me read this and I will explain. In verse 1, he said, When Jesus had finished these words, he departed from Galilee and came into the region, uh, region of Judea. And large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Verse 3. Some Pharisees came to Jesus, testing him and asking, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all? And he answered and said, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So, they are no longer two, but one flesh. He said, What therefore God has joined together, 
let no man separate. They shouldn't divorce their wives. That's the point he was making. Then they said to him, why then? That was the catch. Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said, because of your hardness of heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it had not been this way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. Let me stop reading here. Now, you see the point I'm making so we can make it very clear. Now, if you go back to Deuteronomy and read the commandment, it was not a commandment of Moses. You can find that in Deuteronomy chapter 24, but we'll not read it now. But I can tell you what is there. It was not a commandment of Moses. Even though Jesus said, Moses said, now, I'm not trying to say he lied. I'm just trying, or he was inaccurate. I'm trying to say that Moses was uttering the direct word of God to them. So when they say Moses, Moses was an embodiment of the law. I hope I better my point. It's like saying, but the law said, that's what I mean by Moses. So some of us may think it was the opinion of Moses. It was not the opinion of Moses. I don't have time now, but you could go back there to Deuteronomy chapter 24. You'll see. These were dictated instructions from heaven. So what does that tell you? We can tell you. We can say it this way. Why then did God tell Moses to tell us this? And then the correct thing would be, it was not because it was like that at the beginning, but God gave you that instruction because of the hardness of your heart. I'm trying to emphasize, don't think that when he said Moses, he meant the man Moses. No, he meant the prophet Moses was prophesying the word of God to them. Now, why did I read that? To let you know that when God gave the laws to them, he literally was downscaling his will into the express, something they could understand. I was saying earlier, so he didn't tell them don't marry more than one wife because that was beyond their ability. See what I said? Did he, does that mean marry more than one wife was okay with him? Never. It was never okay. He just did not give them as an instruction. He was hoping they would look to their father Abraham and see the way he did it. David loved God. True of us. How many wives did Mario can tell me? Don't bother trying. You don't know. Me say I don't know. My rough estimate, rough estimation. Let me I just say twenty. Then on top of that, he had many what? concubines. We know that concubine, we know he had many because of Absalom. Okay? He had many concubines. And why do I know he had many wives? You know my favorite story about it. His first six sons were born by six different women. So this is my calculation. Twelve women were pregnant within the space of a year and a half. How else will the one person, I mean, can they born girls? Some were born in girls. So this is what I think. If we just take probability, 12 women had children for, for David around the same time. So they give us the name of the first six boys. How many wives have I counted for you? 12. So that's why I just said, let's just say we are making a mistake. Let's just add another eight to, to round the figure. Oh. Simple question, was he blessed? Was he blessed by that marriage? No. The other day I was reading Jehoshaphat's story. Jehoshaphat made a mistake. He gave the kingdom to his firstborn. David had learned he couldn't do that. He gave the kingdom to his lastborn. Or maybe he had another younger one after, I don't know. 
But the point I'm making is that all the first sons, none of them could take the kingdom. They were not worthy. They gave him headaches, one after the other. So even though God did not give a direct instruction concerning that, we know the will of God. And Jesus said it was clearly in the New Testament that this was how it was in the beginning. Moses did not discuss the beginning with Israel. He gave them the commandment that was in keeping with the level of their hearts. He said their hearts were hard. So God gave them a softer commandment. The truth is that the commandment of Christians are actually tougher than those of the Jews. The only difference is that we don't have them codified the way they had. Our own will modify as we go on. So we literally, we have traditions born out of our understanding. Can I digress slightly again to make a point? The laws of tithing, the way we preach it now in Christianity, is the traditions of men made into a law of God. Yes. Jews had the law of tithing. People say tithing was before the law, but it was never a law. Did you hear what I said? It was before the law. It was never a law. I don't want to sit on it too much now, so I'll just spend it a few minutes. It was the tradition of the people. It was also a tradition. It was never a divine commandment. There was not a time it was a commandment. It was a tradition. The only time it was a commandment was under the law. Say, so what do you mean? There were two instances before then. Abraham gave emphasis, gave, not paid, gave. There's a world of difference between paid and gave. If I dip hand in my pocket now, dip a hand in my in the pocket, and I say, he chooks, take. That's five thousand. If he take, that's five hundred. Uh, that's five thousand. Are you going to go out two of you and say, ah, pastor, is, pastor just paid us five thousand each? If you said that to somebody, what's the first thing they would say? What did you do? What was the work? That would be the first question. If you use the word paid, but that would be the question. What was the work? They said, no, nothing, no. He was just feeling happy. He just saw the way all of us were laughing. And he said he was in a generous mood. The person would say, then why are you saying paid now? You know, that's what, will ha- that, that's what they would say. Why are you causing confusion? You say he paid you. That payment... If we understand enough, why don't we understand the scriptures also? The Bible makes it clear that he gave to Melchizedek. But the Jews paid tithes. Do you know why for them it was a payment? Because God said it did not belong to them. Because the next thing you should have asked, if he didn't do anything, what's the next one you should have asked? Was he owing you? If you answer again, it's no. It's like, ah, why are you saying he paid you 5,000 naira each? Either he was owing or you did something. Of course, O is actually the issue because if you did until I paid, I mean your debt, okay? If you worked for me. But for Israel, they were owing. Why? God said, this is how I do my things. That is, this I'm going to relate with you guys. I will send you ten bushels of corn. Nine will be for you. One will be mine. But ten will be in your custody. So when you take the one to come and give back to wherever I said you should give it, it will be payment. You know why? You were, it was mine. So you are indebted to me because I kept it in your house. I hope you get my point. So that's why they use the word paid. 
Please follow me. I'm not trying to fight Tyson and everything. I'm not explaining the principle here. However, when, why did God give it as a commandment to Israel? Now, let me say what I said before. It was a tradition. Not a tradition of God ever. It was a tradition of the people. Why did Abraham give to Melchizedek? It was their tradition. You pass through a man's land. I hope you're getting my point. What you did was to... Assuming there's a kingdom called Enugu, and you are coming from Oka, and you are going on a major project to Abakaliki, you have to pass through um, Enugu, and you are an important person. You stop to give the king, to greet the king. And what you did, if you had ten horses, you gave him one. It was homage. It was honor. It was respect. It was to show your allegiance. You are showing gratitude for his allowing you to pass. You have many people with you. They are going to drink his water. Your animals will feed on his grass. Because that's how it was. The grass belonged to the king. The land belonged to the king. The water belonged to the king. So when you fed, when you used those resources, you said thank you with 10% of whatever you had on you. Remember, Melchizedek was what? King of Salem. He was a priest of the Most High. So Abraham used his land to go for war and pass through it. And Melchizedek, peradventure, advised him on the way. Told him what was right to do. How to prosecute the battle. So as he returned, thank you, sir. You were such a blessing. He gave him a tenth of all. I hope you are getting my point. <laughs> he blessed Abraham, being the priest of the Most High God, and Abraham gave him what? Gave. He apportioned to him a tenth of all. But for Israel, it was not apportioning. It was not giving. It was payment. Because they didn't have, they didn't own all of it. It was a tenth of their covenant. For example, if I gave you my land to farm, what are you going to pay? Ah, sir, I don't have any money. Okay, let's come to an agreement. Whatever you harvest, I get a quarter of it, and you can use the land. Every year you bring a quarter. Is that a gift? What is it? Payment. It's a debt. You're owing it. That was what Israel had with God. But God said, do you know why I did it? I wanted to teach you the fear of God. They were supposed to do, the tithe was supposed to do a number of things for them. Number one, it was like a first fruit. There's something called first fruit. It was like a first fruit, which was a way of saying, thank you. You gave this to us. Secondly, it was a delivery service. The priest didn't have land like you. He couldn't walk the way you're walking. He needed to eat. There are those who don't have land. They are strangers. Their father sold the land of the family long ago. And is dead. Now they don't have anything. What are they going to eat? I, their father, I will take care of them. I am not going to rain, listen to this. I will not rain their resources from above. I will rain it through your, do you get my point? It won't fall from the sky. I will add what I want to use to take care of the priests, to take care of the strangers, to take care of the poor amongst you. The widows, the fatherless, I will put it amongst your things. I hope you're getting my point. It's not yours. So when you get anything, you will take a tenth of it and go to the storehouse and dump it there. Have you heard this before? Your tithe belongs to your church because that is where you feed from. Have you heard that before? No, you see, how many people have heard it? You've heard it, yes. The logic is faulty. It's very faulty logic. Because what the Bible was talking about as a storehouse, you that put there don't fit from there. 
It's not where you feed from. It's where the poor feed from. I hope you're getting my point. It's where the needy will feed from. It's where the strangers will feed from. It was a place where God took care of everybody. You know, his reign falls on anybody, whether you are hardworking or you are not hardworking. If you are rich or poor, you should still eat. So God said, I will give a portion of it to you guys. This is how our covenant will run. That was the principle. Now, let me ask you, what does that tell you about the heart of God? No, just tell me anything. One, generosity. God is very, thank you. I wanted that. Compassion. Can you see that? Give me another one. Just anyone that you see from the thing that I've described. Care, compassion, generosity. Now, these are the things the Bible calls the spirit of that law. So when he came to the New Testament, he didn't give us any instruction like that. However, he said you have learned what? The fear of God. Like you said, generosity, compassion, care, kindness, respect for the giver, God. I hope you're getting my point. For that reason, what we do as believers, that's why I wrote in my book, the New Testament tither is what? The generous giver. The generous and continual giver has fulfilled the instructions of tithing as far as God is concerned. And my experience is that in this generation, 10% can't do it. But remember my son and his cup of tea? Many Christians just collect that they are 10%. He said 10%. Then after that, they see the poor, they don't give. They see the needy, they don't respond. Compassion is dead in their hearts. There is no generosity with them. There is no kindness. There is legalism. What is legalism? I have gave, given the 10%. So people ask me questions like, can I give my tithe to somebody? I said, it makes no sense. That question is meaningless. The only reason why it seems to have meaning is because you are legalistic. It's because you are legalistic. If, it was not, if you were not into legalism, you can't ask that question. It's like saying, can I give my children school fees to somebody? If I come to you and I say, please, so, can I, do you think I can give my children school fees to somebody? What would you say? In fact, you won't know what to say. Say, excuse me, I don't get it. So if you give to somebody, what, what will happen to the school fees? You, you say that, okay, I don't have any money. Now, school fees is 30,000 naira. And all, all the money I have is 35,000 naira. And my mother is sick. What will you tell the person? Please go to see the principal of the school or the headmistress and give them 10,000 and beg them. Say, please, my mother is sick. Hold this 10,000. I need to use this other 10,000 to take care of my mother. When I get money, I'm expecting money within the next six weeks. I will come and balance. I hope you're getting my point. Do you go and say, Headmistress, please, the children's school fees I have given to my mother's doctor. Do you get my point? Now, why is that question silly? Both of them are your responsibilities. Caring for your aged mother is your responsibility. Taking care of your children's education is your responsibility. So you strive all the time to fulfill your responsibilities. And you don't look for excuses to avoid the one. So people come to me and say, can I give my tithe to somebody? So my own question is that, so what happens to your church after? And that's why I don't believe in the doctrine. say you have to tithe. I don't believe in it. I say it clearly. The Bible never said so. What the Bible said is that you are a member of that church. They should get money regularly from you. Call it 1%. Call it 2%. Call it 30%. Call it 40%. I don't care. I'm not into... into um, percentages with you. It doesn't make sense. For example, if your church is this size and then go to collect dividends, do you want him to give you 10%? Do you want to die? 
think about let's not look, let's be honest. A man that got paid seven hundred million dollars in one year, that's twenty nineteen. Seven hundred and what dollars now? How, how much exactly? What they paid him in one year came to something between seven hundred and fifty and eight hundred million US dollars from Dangote's cement alone. Let us assume he's a member of Kingdom World Ministries. Just gonna say, Pastor Banky, what do you say? I say, bring ten percent. And he gives me seventy million dollars. You know, I will shout Biafra now. <laughs> yes, now, too much money. You start talking nonsense. <laughs> you know what some people do? They, they will now go and run for governor. Say, so you see, we need Christians in politics. $17 million is talking. You start having ideas, praise God. You know, last night as I was sleeping, the Lord began to speak to me. And the Lord began to say that my temple must be glorious. Amen. And the Lord, 17 million has sent him on an errand. Money is very powerful. He sends people on errands. Money. Money will just wake up in the morning. Hey, wake up. Money, sir. Get up. Buy a new car. You go there and say, this is my kind of time I enter it in the morning. The letter doesn't feel like before. It's money sending you on an errand. There are thoughts you don't have if you didn't have money. I'm telling you. So I don't like when I enter into the gallop, I just hear, quickly, please call CFAO Motors. There's this new Mitsubishi that came out. Just send me one. It's mo- there are things people tell me. I just say, money has sent you on an errand. You can't deny it. You can be rational, but money is sent you on an errand. The same car you play, I've just gone. The mechanic will jack up the car, remove the tires, look. See that, oh, okay. Your shock, shock has over. Is that bad? I mean, why should they be bad so early? I don't know. Okay, bad road. When I went to put new ones, good quality ones, pay me 150,000 naira, and you are good. But you rather spend 45 million naira to stop squeaky. What does that tell you? Money is talking to you. And you are obeying. Like somebody said that. Mobile phones, people think they own mobile phones. That you don't own mobile phones, smartphones. That smartphone owns you. You'll see another going around, please. Where can I charge my phone? Where can I charge my phone? Where can I charge my phone? <laughs> According to the person who did the cartoon, the phone is saying, Charge me, charge me now. If you are the one that owned the phone, you will drop it. But you can't drop it. I'm expecting messages. I'm expecting messages. I don't have more money. Please, can you, please, can, can, can you give me your data? Hotspot for me. You see the phone with us up and down every day. Money does that. Very, very powerful. Back to the issue, let's not forget. But if we understood the principle, we won't go and meet him say, they paid you 70% belongs to this church. That belong thing doesn't have any meaning. It's not scriptural. It's just traditions of men. So, of course, a man who collects $700 million as dividends in one year, if indeed he's a member of the church here, I don't expect that he won't drop something serious. I hope you get my point. Yes, he should. He should. He's right. But please, if you ask me, Pastor, do you want someone? I say, no, 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 no. I still want to talk to normal people. Okay? That's why sometimes they say that uh, rich people don't mix with poor people. It's the way the poor people behave. You don't let the man have freedom. He's on edge all the time. He has to hear stories every day. So he'd rather go and meet with Otedola, who never tells him any story apart from how to make more money. Like one man said, if you get a problem, call God. If you get business, call me. <laughs> the man just wants to live a normal life. 
So now let me not miss my message. What is the right Christian spirit? Is generosity. And if the man like that, we have a brother like that, he's, he's earning $700 million a year in, in dividends, he can see. He can say, ah, pastor, <laughs> this is your car. Now, wow. Must you drive this kind of car? Say, pastor, take another one. Is that not good? When you get your dividends, I'm telling you what to do ahead, so you should know. Jokes. <laughs> once you pay that $6 million, if you don't bring my portion, the, the check no go clear. I've warned you ahead now. The Lord is good. <laughs> now, you get my point? They will come to church, of course. What's wrong with he come and say, no, no, pastor, we can't be renting like this. So she needs all his money alone. That's not what we are saying. We're not the only church in this world. That's what I'm trying to explain. The fact is a member here doesn't mean he owes everything like that. If he's my friend, we can discuss. Pastor, it's strong in my heart. We have to advance this gospel. Say yes. How much is your budget for it? He said, I can release $15 million. That's all right. We'll set up a committee to see what we can do with $15 million to advance the gospel. There's no need to fight him over the title is not complete. There's nothing like that. You can say, oh, I think you should be a partner with TBN. You can get on and say, no, send him $2 million. They won't mind. I always told the Lord, please don't, don't give me work with money. That's why the righteous flourish like what? A palm tree is slowly. What you can absorb at each point in time, God brings into your life. Maybe I'm talking like this because I'm in Enugu. Maybe if I was in America and I needed to fly all over the country, you drop $70 million. Ah, um, um, Israel, which one are we going to buy? Is that not a Gulfstream G, G450, right? Or G550? Let's do 450. 450, that's okay for us. Let's just make it two now, you know, because today now we'll come back from Mocha. Me and Yenka came first. The rest of you came after. It's not good for only one plane to be carrying all of us. Is it good? No, it's not good. The Lord is good. Are you getting my idea? Please, are you getting my... It may sound like I'm joking, but I'm not explaining a principle here. The wisdom of God. Understanding the mind of God. And as God supplies resources, we use them according to what we see and what we understand. We are not fighting each other. I will gladly tell the man with that amount of money, please, this is something you can do. It will bless the whole body of Christ. Not only nationwide, but in Africa. And he will do it. And I won't feel slighted simply because he has left our so-called church. This is not the church, but I'm just trying to give us an illustration. And gone somewhere else. Why? The money is not our own. It belongs to who? Our father. He's an administrator of it. We can't be fighting that you must give us 10% of your dividends. No. But as Christians, we must be generous. Paul said it like this in 2 Timothy chapter um, 6. He said we must be generous and what? Ready to share. Ready to share. I'm trying to talk about laws and works. So if you see a Christian who is not generous, who is not ready to share, his faith is not working. Her faith is not working. If the person says, I paid my tithe, and you see a need that you have the ability to meet, then you don't understand the spirit of the tithe. You are legalistic and you are not pleasing God. Please, I hope you are getting my point. So to Israel, now remember what I was trying to say. God gave Israel the law because they were spiritually children. Laws are cut for children. So he said to them, when you get your money, go and take it to the storehouse. 
What he meant by storehouse, let me explain it again, is that that is where, the, and remember they were a kingdom, how do I say it now? They were not a country like ours, where you separated religion and state. You understand? No. They were a, which word is those of you who understand the government? They were a theocracy. The whole country was a church. That's the best way to put it. The whole country was a church. So you didn't separate tithe from tax. I don't know whether you got that. It was their law. It, could, it was the law. It's not like Muslims practice Sharia. The religious law was a civil law. For Israel, these things you call religious laws, and those were their civil laws. The judges sat over those laws to preside, to judge matters. For example, if me and you are quarreling, maybe we are neighbors, you broke my fence, you didn't repair it. Or you lent me money, I refused to pay back. Then I'm passing. I hear, whoo, whoo, whoo. I look at your dog, fell inside the well. I leave it there. Because I'm angry with you. Then the dog drowns. Dogs, they drown? No. They're very hard. Takes a long time. Okay, like whatever. The dog now dies. There, sure. Okay, let's like forget the dog. I, have, I look. It's your goat. Fell into a pit. Broke a leg. It can't come out. And I go past and I sit down. Then later on, I find your goat. You've been looking for it. It's dead. It's useless now. And the neighbor now says, Banky passed there. He actually told me that he saw the goat, but he's not talking to you. You had the right to go and report me to the judges. Because the law said, I am not allowed to see your animal in the pit and not rescue it because I'm angry with you. Remember my, my son and his tea and coke and malt and, and juice? They were children. God had to tell them everything. Everything. Let me tell you how Christians are. We don't have problems like that. Let me tell you something my wife did once. We just, to give an illustration, why God commanded them. One woman, actually two of them, and her husband, they did has, you know when somebody do you strong thing? You know what they call strong thing? Okay, those in America, they know what is a strong thing. <laughs> How do we say it in English? They did have something very powerful. Right? <laughs> I don't even know which word to use now. They cheated her, actually, yeah. No, they, they defrauded her, really, did it? They did, I've seen, sometimes when I see couples do bad together, I said, this family is in trouble. I had another couple do that to me recently. I said, my God, these people are really conspiracy. Of, I mean, when you are wicked, like now you are an arm robber, at least your wife should go to church. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> but this one, you go shoot person, the wife will hide the gun. What does it mean? That's what happened that day. Wasn't, was, was fraud, was fraud. It was really terrible, it was bad, because I said, ah, you know, Christians, people you trusted and all of that, they did that. But of course, they were now in serious financial trouble. I remember I knew what happened. I remember that particular day. My wife sat down. It was a church service. She looked across, saw the woman that did her strong thing, she and her husband, and felt sorry, you know, had compassion on her. And listened to me and said, but I'm angry with them. So I told her friend they were talking. Say, please, I want to give that woman money, but I'm angry with them. So I will give you money. Then just greet her and say, How are you doing? It just my heart just felt like giving you something. Give her for me. Don't tell her it's from you. So truth is, she don't have that woman money. That one can say just after service. So the other woman say, Ah, how are you doing? That's everything. Fine. There's something my I just feel like you know, just give her the money. Oh, thank you, my sister. God bless you. 
Till today, of course, it's not today. They will never find out what happened. That's the Christian spirit. I hope you're getting my point. But do you know for Israel, God had to command it. If you're angry with your neighbor, you must help him if he's in need. Ha! Huh? But I'm angry because you know you must help. But for us Christians, we have understood. No. I'm angry with somebody. I won't let you suffer like this. Do you follow my point? I won't. If I have the capacity, I will help you out. But because I'm angry, I won't tell you. So God actually expected them that you take the goat, bring it out, tie it where he will find it, and walk away. Don't go and say, uh-huh. enemy, EP, I have helped you. If everybody is doing the way you do, will I help you today? That's unnecessary talk. What did I say? Unnecessary talk. He said, bring the goat out, tie it where the man will find it, and go your way. And the Lord will see it and bless you. That's what he said. I hope you're getting my point here. So the will of God was brought down for them into codes, rules, every little thing. And of course, because they never wanted to obey God. You know what happened? They found their way around every instruction. <laughs> Let me tell you something that will make you laugh. This is just to make you laugh. It really happened, but it will make you laugh. I was in the faculty once. The vice chancellor wrote to the whole faculty that the amount of money they are spending eating chicken that the, the whole university, that the amount of money they are spending eating chicken is too much during meetings. So he placed a ban on chicken during meetings. So I went for one meeting. You know what I saw? Fish. <laughs> Huge chunks of fish that definitely was costing more than the chicken. So I said, excuse me. He said, oh, God said, no chicken. So guys, eat fish. <laughs> I still remember. I'm still also. I wonder if you know, you know fish now. When you see the fish, omo, well peppered like this. See the size of the. They said, no, no, we can't chop chicken. The vice chancellor said, no chicken. Like my son and his tea. Daddy said, no malt, no coke, no juice. But he forgot to mention tea. No problem. So we drink tea and we have not broken the law of God. That's why the New Testament didn't bother. So that God can directly judge you according to your conscience. So people come and start saying, did God say? I said, it doesn't say. To Christians, he said, go and ask yourself, is this pleasing to God or is not? That's the question we ask in Christianity. Where's the People say, where did God say we can't marry two wives? I said, go and ask your first wife whether he wants you to have a second wife. That's number one. No, there are things, you know, oh, let me not get into that. There are things, if you want to know my thoughts, scriptural thoughts on monogamy, go to our website, download the, 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 um, the teaching, the doctrine of monogamy. Is there. There are things we don't need instructions for them. We don't need direct commandments. Once we know God, our conscience is awakened. I hope you're getting my point. Then as we read the mind of God from the things he had done in the past, he said these things were recorded for our learning. For example, when we take the law of tightness as an example that I was telling you about, when we read it, I've read it a lot. And what I have discovered that they have, it has a spirit. For Abraham, it was honor. It was respect. So he gave to Melchizedek out of honor. He wasn't really trying to worship the way we look at it. If Melchizedek was another king, he would have given him also. It was their culture. It was their tradition. And God picked on it, all right, and began to use it. And what does that tell you? He lost that tradition. And that is why the 10% is of no relevance, the percentage. Once you get into the realm of the spirit, don't bother counting. It doesn't count. They don't do mathematics the way you and I do it. 
So that is why the Christian tithe for you can be 5%. And for you, the same church is 55%. If you give 4.9, you have sinned. If you give 50, um, 52, you have sinned. Meanwhile, you may be struggling to do 10 because somebody is being legalistic on you. Meanwhile, you think you have done 10. It's okay. There's a man, E.G. Links. E.G. Links says something. When I read this book, I'd never seen it like that before. Because before I read it, I used to think like everybody else. That proportion is what matters. He said, no. There is no proportion that matters. It's what is left that matters. Ah, I didn't, I didn't get that. Initially. Because he explained it. He said, and I agree with him 100%. Before, I felt that if you have a hundred million, was it six million dollars we're asking, talking about now? Yeah, six million dollars. And you give six hundred thousand dollars. And you have six million naira. And you give six hundred thousand. No, no. And you have, let's say, hundred thousand naira. And you give ten thousand naira. As far as we are concerned, you have given the same, right? Because this person gave ten percent, this person gave ten percent. It sounds like the same, right? The man showed that it's not the same. He said the, the widow gave how many mites? Two mites. And, and so you look at it as what? Well, 100%. He said, but what did Jesus say? Jesus said she gave all she had to live on. So he said the principle is what do you have to live on? So if you gave six million, you had six million dollars and you gave five million dollars, what's that percentage now? It's a bit uh, tough, but let's say, Let's make it easy. Assuming you have $10 million and you give $8 million as an offering, what percentage is that? 80%. You had, I mean, that's 100,000 there, all right, and you gave 10%. How much is that? 10%. Who has given more? In the eyes of man, the person that gave, in the eyes of man, the person that gave 80%, both in volume and percentage. But in the eyes of God, she gave more. You say why? Because in Nigeria of today, how far can you go with 90,000 naira? Not too far. But the man that gave $6 million, what does he have left? How far can you give, go with $2 million? Ah, you can reach the moon. Ah, truffles. You can pay to Elon Musk and um, the, uh, the Amazon guy. They will fly you to the to outer space, no, Virgin Galactica, for $200,000. They'll fly you into the outer space. You can still go bungee jumping. I hope you're getting my point. With $2 million in Nigeria of today, that's about a billion naira. You know that? Yes, $2 million. With that, you can still run for office. You can try for Senate. Or even governor. Sir. You will lose, but you can try. <laughs> So the man explained that as a matter of fact, you don't just use percentage to check who has given more. You check what they have left to live on. So in that circumstances, the person that gave only 10% has given more, according to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, than the person who had 80% given. And that's why as Christians, we can never relax and say, I have given enough. God says, the one that's remaining, let us as we are giving $8 million, now remain two. Let me now tell you what to do with $2 million. It is not yours just because you have given $8 million. Did you hear what I said? Because the, Christ, the, mental, the mentality a lot of people have is that I had $10 million. I have given God $1 million. 
That's his portion. Then I give a free will offering. That thing is a lie. As far as God is concerned, they say your, your tithe is compulsory, your offering is free will. Have you heard that before? Again, it is not accurate doctrine. When the Bible says you have robbed me in tithe and in offerings, both of them were compulsory. None of them was free will. So don't get confused. They are all the same thing. But let us assume I decide that, look, let me be sure I'm not missing anything. I give another one million. What people now think that after 10 million, I've given out two million dollars. I now have how many, how much remaining? Eight. I cannot do what I like. Let me save you notice today. You are walking in sin if you are thinking like that. Any money that's with you has to be accounted for before God. And that is why he doesn't stop until he has eaten a hundred percent of your money. Yeah, that's the way he is. He doesn't stop until he has eaten what? A hundred percent. He will collect everything. Now, please, I hope you're following my point here. All right? So that's the principle. You can't relax. You can't pay God off. It's not possible. There's nothing like I've given him my tithe. The rest is mine. It doesn't exist in us Christianity, in Christians. It doesn't exist with us. If I had five million naira and I give God 500,000 naira, next is, okay, Lord, what do I do next? Every single bit is his. If I ever withdraw one and call it mine, I start walking in sin. They forget the first one I have given. <laughs> you know, I told you that the laws of Christianity, if you want to check laws, it's actually tougher. Because God holds you responsible on everything. You can't say I've given off a part of it, I can rest. No, you can't. You can finish giving that first half 500 out of 5 million, and God comes and says, okay, that there is another job I have down the road. There's another church there. Their own is not so much. They just need 480,000. It's less than 500. Because, other, you know, how many of you remember that time we were getting involved in one particular project? I took the announcement three times. And we said we wanted to help some people who were meeting to get a building of their own. It was not a fantastic building, all right? Let me tell you something that happened. Maybe I never told you. Bishop, remember, you roofed the building is it Monday or Tuesday? They were ejected from where they used to meet by that weekend. I don't know whether you are getting my point. The very week that one we helping them put together became useful that they could gather under it because it was roofed. That was a week they were, and the other who rejected ejected did not know. It wasn't as if they planned and said that uh, uh, they have a new building. They didn't know about it. They just said, "Hey guys, you are living here this weekend." To the shame of their enemies. Hallelujah. The Lord had gathered his saints and they had put another roof somewhere. Before they would be one small iron, you know, roofing sheet shack. And the rest of them under a canopy outside. This time around, they had a blocked, you know, at least a full building, not complete, completely with a roof, and everybody could fit under it. They didn't have need for that canopy again. Now, let me ask you a question. Let us assume this story I've told you now has not yet happened. And it's going to happen next week. And you have money. Won't you bring it? So I like to tell you story because a number of people contributed at that time. And all of, many of us put resources together to help. When you hear that, you know you'll be excited. Wow. My money is what? Working. It is not Christianity that I give the seed. It's now back in my pocket. No. So that's why Paul prays like this. God will multiply your seed for sowing. That's what he said. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. He said you'll be enriched in all things. 
which brings forth more liberality. He said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you having all sufficiency in all things, we are bound to every good work. Can you see what I'm saying? So that is why some people hear the way I pray, say, Pastor Frank is a Christian, you don't tell. That's what I said. I said, stop being legalistic. Be responsible. I'm saying don't use legalism. Use the spirit of the law. The Lord is good. I hope you're following me. Now we're looking at James. So James was explaining, that's where we began from, to the people, that every time that your faith is genuine, it produces works. The works may not be the works of the law. It will not be the works of the traditions of men made into law. Do you get my point? No. It will be works of the genuineness of your faith. And if it is not there, the faith is dead. He said, just like the body without breath is dead. That is, it is not the lack of breath that killed it all. It's our way of checking whether the fellow is dead or is alive. If you see somebody lying down here, another person lying beside, they say one of them is dead, the other one is alive. But both of them are unconscious, in quotes. How do you know the one that is alive? Check the one that is breathing. He said, just like the body without the breath is dead, so is faith without works dead. Let me end it here. The lack of works is a personal assessment matter. I don't know where I get my point. It's a way to let you know your faith is dead. There are those who tell you they are Christians, so but once you hear the but, just say, bro, you are not you are not a Christian. Leave that thing. There is nothing in your life that shows that Christ has ever entered. Come, let us baptize you. Say, so I was baptized as an infant. Say, so you didn't confess Jesus. Come, let us baptize you again. Give your life to Christ. There must be something, you know? That's the issue about it. That's what we're talking about. Faith always produces works. It's just a way to express that it is alive. Without the works, it is dead. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. It is different from legalism. That's why I spend so much time using this ties, money-giving matter. Many people are legalistically giving, but they are not true givers. Many people are following laws and traditions of a church. They're following the traditions of men that have become laws. You know the truth? They are not born again. They are people that read their Bible every day. They are not born again. I sat with a man once on a plane. I was going abroad. He was an interesting student. I said, some people don't know anything. No. Very nice guy, you know, very chatty human being. So the plane wasn't so full, so we could move around a bit, you know. In fact, that one I laid down, you know, first class. <laughs> I mean, it was a big Boeing 777, Emirates. Massive plane like this. So it wasn't so full that you just put out the armrest, put your bag down, put your head on it, and sleep. I mean, why pay all the money when you can get uh, economic class so you can take your role? It was quite nice that day. So the man and I were put on the same room before he moved to go and find where to lie down. So he's a chatty human being. We're just talking. So along the line, he says something. His family was in Germany. He was actually going back somewhere. He was heading home eventually. I was going somewhere else. And he said to me that um, he has a family, wife, and children in Germany. So that his girlfriend in Lagos. The other night, he was just disturbing him. He was just giving him an attitude. He just abandoned her and began to read his Bible. <laughs> no, that's the gist. That's the gist. Oh, oh. Oh, that, oh that's where my gist was going. I didn't know what they said. Excuse me. What did you say? <laughs> you left your wife in Germany. The Nigerian came down to Nigeria, lived with another woman. She annoyed you. Just abandoned her. You don't have time for such nonsense. Just took your Bible and began to read. 
Hell, I said, what did you read in the Bible? He didn't read the part where he said, woe to adulterers. <laughs> no. You know, he didn't say anything wrong with it. So many people are reading their Bible. They are not born again. They read their Bible out of traditions of men that have become a law. So the law says, read your Bible in the morning if you want to be safe when you go out. So they read it. But the truth is that there's no life in them. But for you and for me, I'm sure I'm like that, and I trust you are like that too. When I pick my Bible, nobody's checking how many chapters I've read or have not read. I need to hear from God. Jokes apart. And I can say something. I don't think it's possible for me to spend 10 minutes with my Bible and not find something to underline or color. And not find, that's how you hear me sometimes I come and say, I was reading my Bible, you know, yesterday or there was something, you know, I'll just drop it for you. Because for me, it is how to tap into the mind of God. And anything I find inside it, I have to live by it. Sometimes they are small. I just see the mind of God. It said like a madman throwing fire, brand, and arrows. So is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, was I not joking? Since there I read it till today, I understood the mind of God concerning what you call April Fool. There's no Christian commandment that says, thou shalt not pray, play April Fool. I just read the mind of God. He said, only a madman deceives his neighbor and says, I was joking. And look at me. Do I look like a madman? No. Number two, do I look like I want to be one tomorrow? Why would I use my deeds to prophesy madness into my life? So I told everybody. Since what I'm telling you is more than 30 years ago, not today. I read that scripture over 30 years ago. Bye-bye. And every April 1, ever since Twitter came, I tweet that scripture. Early morning on April 1, I tweet the scripture. I tweet it. And one person said, ah, person can't joke again. I say, yes. And it was my sister-in-law. I just said, ah, bros, hey, we can't joke again. I said, we can't too. I said, I said be like so. Well, somebody said, ah, you are too serious in my mind. If I, if I hit you, do I look like Jesus Christ? Am I the one that wrote it? Say to who said it, Christ Jesus, you are too serious. What's your problem? Relax. Be coming down. Come on, calm down. Say it to Jesus. Don't say it to me. But let me leave out. Let me leave the place first because I don't know what happened to you. Before they think we are friends. I'm not your friend. Though. Like one man was prophesying, we listened to it yesterday. He said, Don't be too close to some people. We're about to be judged. How many of you heard it? I know Apostle has not slept well since he heard that scripture. He's checking all those who are close to him. He looked at Israel. Have you obeyed God? <laughs> Israel said, oh boy, what do you think I'm here doing? I'm trying my best to obey. He said, I don't want your judgment to touch me. If you are my friend, you must obey God. The man said, don't be too close. Because now so Jonathan are close to Saul. Now he can't die. So that's that just by the way. I just dropped that by, by the way. I read that particular scripture and I dropped it. No April in my life. Again. And on that day, I read the particular scripture. That shall not cause a deaf man. Ah. I said, thank you very much. There was a man walking in my office and I was visually impaired. People would be making signs behind his back. I said, lie, lie, not me. If they make signs behind his back, I said, hey, you are, you are making a sign for me. What is it? They're like, what is wrong with it? Something, <laughs> Bible is wrong with me. What is wrong with you? Bible is wrong with me. I don't want God to punish two of us. Please relax. He won't even punish you because he has not given you my truth. I'm the only one that will now suffer. 
And when the man will be passing, I will check if he was seen. Would he have seen me? If the answer is yes, I announce myself. Good afternoon, sir. If I see that even if you could see, he wouldn't have seen me, then I continue on my way even if I'm in a hurry. I made it the point never to take advantage of his visual impairment. Why? I read from the scripture, that shall not curse a deaf man. I just saw the mind of God. Anytime I read my Bible, I'm looking for instructions. And so when you see my life change, it's faith. Like you see, the, way, the pattern of my administration over the last few weeks have changed slightly. We start and declare the lordship of Jesus into the air. It was from studying scriptures. I realized that we have to fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of God as the water covers the sea. We began to do it. It's not only here. I do it personally. Sometimes I get up during the night. I want to go and use myself. I just take one little scripture, Psalm 2. I just murmur it in quotes to myself. Then go back to sleep. The works of faith. So you see, our commandments are... Israel had 613. How many do we have? Uncountable. 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 We're not trying to obey a law and sneak away. No. We're trying to do that which is pleasing to God. And what I'm beginning to teach today is what I call expressions of faith. In fact, without me saying much, I've already explained many today. Like without planning it, I've talked about giving. You have seen our faith is expressed in how we give. We can't calculate percentages for God. It's legalistic. It shows that we are just trying to fulfill a rule and not to love the one that truly we claim to love. We don't truly love him. You know, I've been in situations before that I didn't have money. But those who I used to give money regularly never found out. There was a time my mother said, I thought they said people were on strike. I said yes. I knew why she said so. Because what I used to send her to her, there was never any interruption. I thought they said people were on strike and they are not paying. I said yes, it's true. She couldn't take it beyond that. I just said, it's true. Don't leave it there. I won't say, you know, mommy, this is the percentage. It has gone down. I hope, I hope, I hope you get my point. If anything, I should be looking and say, ah, this money, inflationary trend, shouldn't it go up? Even if it has to eat more into what I have. Why? I'm not trying to be legalistic. I'm trying to solve a problem. I hope you're getting my point. As believers, that's where we are. We just have the heart of God. And if our faith is genuine, there are certain things that it will produce. And I want to talk about that beginning from now. We'll talk about hope, expressions of faith. Expressions of faith. There are so many in scriptures. The confession of our lips is an expression of faith. The way we pray is an expression of faith. The way we worship is an expression of faith. The way we give is an expression of faith. The way we honor people is an expression of faith. And we must continue, because you know what James said? It's only when we express faith like that that our faith is what? Perfected. I hope you've gotten my point. Let's bow down our heads. Let's give a lot of thanks. Let's give a lot of thanks.